How do the number of one-syllable words in Some Nights by Fun make it easier for us to understand the lyrics? How do the melodies and the main themes in the Marvel Cinematic Universe make the movies feel like superhero movies? How do the chords in Closer by the Chainsmokers featuring Halsey make us want to keep listening until the end of the song? Come check out Song Appeal on your favorite podcasting service or at songappealofficial.com for answers to these and other questions as we take a look at the music theory, linguistics, and rhetoric of your favorite songs to answer the question, psychologically, why do we like the music we like? Again, you can find Song Appeal on your favorite podcasting service or at songappealofficial.com. Lost irreparable for mankind. What's happened, man? The fire has spread from your ships. The library of Alexandria is in flames. What is burning there is the memory of mankind. A shameful memory. Let it burn. Would you destroy the past? Aye, and build the future with its ruins. Hello, everybody. Steve here. Welcome once again to the Baked and Awake podcast. Thank you as always for spending some time with us today, spending some time with me today. Uh, What is it, December 11th, 2018? Yep, a Tuesday at the time of recording. And uh, man, I've been dragging butt on getting this episode out, but not for lack of interest in the episode at all. In fact, I would definitely expect that this is the first of several dives into this pool. It's a, the water's fine, as they say, so I really am excited about this topic and um, can't wait to bring it to you. But if this is your first time hanging out with me here at Baked and Awake. Please be aware, we smoke weed on the show. I record in a legal state. I happen to work in the cannabis industry here in Washington State. And uh, so that's a big part of what we do. This week we're smoking, what do we have? Some Chemdog from my own garden that I work for, Weed Plus Tacoma, down in beautiful Tacoma, Washington. Uh, and Chemdog is, well, supposed to be one of the, uh, it's supposed to be the, the parent to most of the diesel strains, one of the granddaddies to the diesel strains. Um, not going to get into a big analysis of Chemdog for you this week. Those of you who follow me on Instagram at baked underscore and underscore awake will know not only the topic that we're getting ready to jump into today that I'm really excited about, but also the fact that I packed a, just an obscenely big joint of this chemdog <laughs> that I then proceeded to uh, embellish with wax and keef and a little extra flour around the outside just for fun, and this, this bugger's weighing in at over three grams, so should be really a great challenge to see if I can even smoke it all at, at one go. Uh, but we have more than enough material to cover, for sure. So at any rate, light cannabis use ahead. Be warned. Turn it off if you've got your grandma in the room and she's not feeling the jazz cabbage. 
Um, all right. Let's see. I'll tell you about some of that other stuff later. Drop off a couple housekeeping items for you. You like that? I just took two housekeeping items right off for you. Don't even worry about them. We'll talk about them later. Maybe tomorrow. Maybe next time. I will say this, I was excited, I got an email today, so I got a, like a comment on YouTube the other day from somebody that was a sincere, legit comment expressing their enjoyment of the episode, thank you for that person who checked that out on YouTube and, and took a moment. Got an email today from somebody with a really on-point message, a quick hello, and a fucking link to a great article and a summary on the new Farm Bill, So, um, which is all about the hemp and CBD uh, side of things for all of us. It has implications also for banking in legal uh, states for many uh, businesses associated with the cannabis industry. Um, doesn't quite get everybody in the clear yet, all the real legit cannabis farms and processors, etc. But uh, it's a big step in the right direction. And uh, so couldn't believe that. Got that uh, in the form of an email from mybakedandawake.com. Uh, you know, the actual podcast website. Yes, I have my own website for the show and have since day one for you guys. All your show notes are there for every episode of the show. All your show notes as well as the playable episodes of the this podcast, Baked and Wake, and my short, sweet, three times a week Baked and Awake news brief that we're doing on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. It's optimized for Amazon Alexa devices. So if you have one of those haunted speakers, uh, definitely please enable the Baked and Awake News Brief skill on there. Uh, if I have notes for the news briefs, those will be able to be accessed on bakedandawake.com. You can email me directly from bakedandawake.com just by clicking a button. You could support the show directly just by clicking a button via PayPal on the bakedandawake.com website as well. So there's a little bit of housekeeping anyway. Not that much. Like I said, I still dropped off some of that other stuff for you guys. And we're not going to talk about ChemDog other than to say we're about to get righteous off of some ChemDog today. The event, however, if you've been following me on Instagram, if you've been listening to the podcast for a little while, I hinted at it last week, two weeks ago, and ten days ago, I think was the last episode we had out, um where I gave you guys some of the search terms that got me all excited. Uh, and, uh, you know, like I said, it's taken a couple extra days because I can't stop reading about this. I can't stop watching YouTube videos about this. And I can't stop uh, just literally driving my family crazy watching, you know, documentary after documentary about this thing that they're calling, that I'm calling, that we're calling the Mud Flood Event. The mud flood deception. A global civilization reset event. Of the likes of which I guess we've all heard of before, perhaps, in some small way or another. It's definitely connections to the biblical flood myth narrative here. And, you know, let me throw this other slight disclaimer out for everybody. Keep keep your mind as open as you can today. You should get stoned immediately if you're not already. Because, I mean, 
the minute you go looking into this yourself, you're going to run across people with, uh, you know, in these in these user groups, in these forums, in these subreddits, in these uh, private communities, uh, all over the web that have flat Earth, this and that in their username handles. Um, you know, folks who are, I mean, these are, you know, they make the ancient aliens. Ancient astronaut theorists, uh, etc., look tame. Although, by all means, this is not disconnected from that realm. What you guys will see as we get into this, and I have a lot, a lot of notes written here. I'm going to come on and off of my notes and my quote-unquote script quite a bit. This is a primer today. It's an intro, like so many of our topics that are so much fun and that I reserve the right to come back to because we want to come back to them. We want to keep learning about them and learn more about them, get corrected and, and you know, slapped around on some and, you know, get the green light to go full speed ahead on others to keep investigating. Um, but, you know, this 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 story has connections to stories that we've done on this podcast in the past in ways. So in ways, even though this is newer to me as a full-blown concept, the mud flood event, stuff that I've been looking at for years has been hinting around some of this. What do I mean? Well, stuff we've talked about, like I say, on the show um, at some length in the past, like Mel's Hole, okay? Mel's Hole, the bottomless pit in Pullman, Washington, so-called you know there's connections in that whole story to hollow earth there's connections to native americans and strange mythology uh that they have there's connections to uh lost uh civilizations and tribes of european blue-eyed uh you know aryan seeming uh not balkans not romany but something related to them We'll come back to him uh, on that, on that, on Mel's Hole. Uh, Mel's Hole also has connections when you uh, look into that story to deep underground military bases. Deep underground military bases have, you know, when you go into that whole uh, rabbit hole of the Internet and, and look into that story, these aren't just American deep underground military bases. These are theorized to be all around the world. And those are often theorized to be interconnected potentially connected with the bones of ancient hidden civilizations uh and uh you know hollow earth right how far is that from a hollow earth story not very um so we talked about mel's hole uh we talked about the maury island incident and the entire ufo aliens mystery which ties into deep underground military bases and where ufos appear to appear out of nowhere so much of the time um UFOs are also often referred to as USOs, under, uh, unidentified submerged objects that come up from out of the water um, in a lot of odd places around the world, like the Bermuda Triangle, etc. These, uh, you know, that stuff's a little bit, that's, that's, that's not part of where we're going today. Forget that. <laughs> but UFOs and aliens are connected somewhere in this mess. Um you know, beyond stuff that we've done already, um, we have enduring myths of an ancient, lost, global civilization that may have built many of the megalithic structures we credit today. 
to the Egyptians, the Romans, the ancient Greeks, and more. We'll come back to some of those others. We're going to be willingly exposing ourselves, like I was saying with my little disclaimer there, to concepts that verge on the heretical to everything here, everything about history. I mean, this stuff, if you take any of it at face value or with any grain of salt and then it holds up slightly under examination, you're challenging almost all of academia and, and scholarly written history in a really fundamental way. So that's problematic from the standpoint of being able to make that understood without being panned, you know, out of hand. But to get back to my notes, um, speaking of heretical, though, uh, our recent episodes on the Nag Hammadi Library, there's another connection. It's another possible thread in this same you know, global reset deception. Um, in those episodes, just a few weeks back, uh, I, ha- I reflected on hidden histories that challenge the mainstream narrative of the mental picture we're programmed with by modern society and our public education, right? Uh, one of a largely benevolent, enlightened West, quote-unquote, the West, right? Though imperfect in its implementation that nevertheless embodies all the good attributes required to cement its hegemony in the, in the present and in the near and even distant future. Because why? Democracy, right? That's why. Um, in the case of the Nag Hammadi Library, however, we found in those pages, in the codices there, the proto-books, a much different Jesus than he who is depicted in our King James Bibles. One who had to be hidden away deep in some caves for thousands of years if they were ever intended to be found and shared again. Right, to use a really tired cliche, history, as they say, is written by the victors. rant ahead. You know, today in 2018, young school children are being taught that we fought a just war against Iraq in righteous retaliation for their leaders' support of radical Islamic terrorists. That same despot in possession of WMDs or weapons of mass destruction that were being manufactured in the offending country. Iraq, 9-11, with its certainly sobering to consider 2,975 victims, is to beat that particular dead horse just a little bit more, and I'm sorry. It's also widely repeated as and reported to be terms like the worst act of terrorism in history. In no way ever acknowledging that the bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki on August 6th and 9th of 1945 
by the United States were devastation the likes of which truly had never been seen before. They were responsible for a death toll of something up to an estimated 240,000 people, many of whom died after the explosions of horrible injuries and the effects of acute radiation poisoning. That number of 240,000 people in no way accounts for the health impacts on other survivors. Additional exposure for them to toxic radioactive fallout, etc. All right, debating that bombing as an act of war, you can, if you want to, all you want. I don't, we can agree to disagree there. Email me if you really want to. What's the point of that rant, though? I guess I'm just illustrating the fact, really, that outside of weirdos like yours truly and your respective conspiracy theorist uncles everywhere, God bless them all. Nobody in our polite society is questioning that inaccurate, disingenuous, and as far as I'm concerned, downright reductionist version of events. Or really anything else. chassis of your joint. Anyway, I was rationalizing my rant. I was talking about the lack of criticism, the, this complete unwillingness on all of our parts collectively to examine or to question a prepackaged, shiny, by now Hollywood enshrined fabrication. That being recent history of, of the 9-11 event. How many movies glorifying American actions in the Middle East have come out just since 9-11? Okay, yes, I wrote some notes for this episode, but I didn't look up a single one of these before I bothered. Here we go. Off the top of my head, I just listed Black Hawk Down. Something called SEAL Team 6 or related whatever movie about SEAL Team 6. The Hurt Locker is a classic, right? American Sniper, huge. 
Babel, uh, Sicario, on down, 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 etc. That industry, an entire industry built around glorifying war and our actions in war in that forum uh, is, in my opinion, a major problem for me today. We don't question or look at it as anything other than almost like just the way things are these days. We, we just have this unending war in that part of the world. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back off of it. All right, don't worry. I'm coming back to you guys. I just lit the weed, you know. All right, but those are just a few that flew off the top of my head as I was sitting there typing. I didn't need to consult my notes. I don't re- I don't watch those type of movies for the most part, okay? But you can't avoid them. They're out there. I've seen at least half of them because you can't escape them. And what I'm describing there is a form of societal programming, again, in my opinion, that though from what I can tell, it seeps into us without ever realizing how deeply it's taken hold. You know, we don't even have to worry about educating our kids on who the enemy is, because they already know. And yes, I'm talking about a made-up bullshit enemy that's not valid, that's not true, that's not real. You know, the, the, the fact that my own kids have perceptions of dark-skinned people, Middle Eastern people in particular, that are colored by any, certainly any adult programming they're exposed to, and in subtle, you know, insidious ways in their own content and programming that's targeted towards them. Yeah. All right. Enough ranting, Steve. Tell us about this stupid mud flood before you get too stoned off that huge doobie. What it has to do with jihadis in the Middle East. Or anything at all. Fine. I will. As I said, and I'll say it again, I'm just starting to look into this. It's a fascinating topic as far as I'm concerned, though, and one big place where you can have your own self-directed investigation party is definitely the New Earth YouTube channel, okay? And that channel and its main host, by no means I don't think it's a one-person operation, all the content that's there, but Sylvie Ivanova is the main personality that sort of hosts a lot of the documentaries that you see there are to be real given real credit everybody there but her in particular and recognition for her work the extension the extensive excuse me extensive curation of illustrations documents and maps indeed theories somewhat coherent theories concerning this topic. Yes, it's a lot of it's conjecture, a lot of it's speculation, but 
they have a lot of content there on New Earth YouTube channel. A lot of the, the areas that they spend a lot of time on are megalithic sites around the world, in particular focus on Europe and Russia, as you might imply, imagine from her uh, name. But I can't recommend checking out New Earth Channel on YouTube enough that they should definitely be credited with uh, sparking our interest here to a very large part. I'm happy to report that this thing is burning pretty gosh dang nice down to that first ring of keef and oil and it's straight. Take a picture of it. Save it for later. Show it to you guys later on. Alright, I paused it for a quick second, apparently for very good reason, the dog was barking to let me know that pretty much half of Christmas had just arrived on the front doorstep, yes, <sighs> via Amazon. I know, we've already talked about this and we've badmouthed Amazon and everything it represents on more than one occasion, and I have also admitted that... I'm not perfect, and we need to work on it. But yes, a few things, more than a few things, are coming from Amazon to go under the tree this year. I got kids, people. It's not easy. I don't, uh, whatever. I'm not making excuses. I'm making excuses. <laughs> but anyway, it was raining, so that stuff needed to come inside. It's inside now. All right, so what I've got here now is I've got a list that I've written of my notes so far of just what I tried to do was come up with my own thoughts about this and my own list and then popped around to look at and we're going to pop into and out of a couple of the open browser tabs I have uh, that came from this research and and came up before I came up with my my sort of list to use one of my favorite words, listicle, right? Um, and we'll see how far we get with it. Just like this big old dupe that's burning like a champ. All right. Number one. I won't probably read all the numbers as we go. To start, evidence of a mud flood event can be found all over the world. This is most apparent when one begins to look at architecture and buildings, in particular, well, architecture is buildings, right? And virtually, I guess, uh, infrastructure and buildings in virtually any larger populated city. Um, when looking for this corroboration, one begins to find building after building of a certain age that appear to have part or all of what originally appears for all the world to have been a ground floor, first, first floor story, not 
obviously a basement, embedded below ground, partially or fully, right? One side of the building, two, three. Sometimes all the way around, but telltale signs of a, quote, mud flood affected building would be windows and partial windows visible at ground level. Sometimes these are bricked over, right? Think of it, you've seen them, those little, sometimes people have flowers in them and stuff like that. Sometimes there's bars over them. Brownstones in New York, you see them there. Um, anyway, you know, sometimes the windows are still there, providing light to a, what's basically a basement now, right? Daylight windows. Again, though, these basements are usually only like half buried. They're, you know, a lot of times it's like one half of the building that seems buried you know, now the whole neighborhood's on a hill, but some of these homes and larger buildings have the whole back half is, like, cut into the hillside, it appears. But was it cut into the hillside, or did the hillside come along sort of, you know... <laughs> well, did the current hillside come along on top of the original leveled freestanding terrain that existed. Let's go back to the notes. Because it's easy. It's, e it's real easy to get all turned around. When excavated at all during renovations, okay, these same type of buildings are in preparation for demolition, right? Uh, you know, advancement of civilization and all. Mud flood buildings mud flood affected seeming buildings reveal entire hidden entrances many of them grander in design than that seen above for decades you know bigger wider doors and stuff like that these may have been or probably were the original street level doors and windows of the buildings you know, like architectural features, there's thousands of images of this stuff, okay? Um, and I'm going to point you at a number of resources to look into after this episode where you can just go nuts, um, and all of them will point you at images, and all of them will have be deeply uh, image-driven in terms of the videos that you watch as well, so don't worry about that. You're going to see these images if you go to look. I did post a few to Instagram already, though, too, by the way. The deposits of material said to have been deposited in many areas. And again, this is all over the world. It's all over North America. It's in Europe. It's in Asia. It's in Africa. It's, it's said to be three meters or more. I'm talking 12, 15 feet or more of... With mud, soil, sand, what have you, right? Everything is kind of muddy when it's wet. What it then is constituent, you know, what it's built of and what it uh, turns into and resembles when the event is over 
uh, may be very different in different areas, right? I'm not sure if this is one event or many, okay? Um, although it does seem to have been kind of a biggie that supposedly got most, most recently. We'll see. Um, many cities around the world with notable numbers of apparently mud flood affected buildings and towns also happen to share for example giant historic fires or other natural disasters in those cities histories you know with attendant stories about entire swaths of populated areas being wiped out you know utterly destroyed and subsequently, in a number of cases, intentionally buried as a result. With the modern city being constructed literally upon the previous city's ruins. Um, I live in one such city, Seattle, Washington. Definitely caught up in some of these mud flood videos and mentioned. Boston, Massachusetts, I think Portland is said to have some, Portland, Oregon, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, Syracuse, New York, Washington, D.C., uh, Moscow, or St. Petersburg, Russia, Paris, France, Cairo, in Egypt, many more. But all of those, at least, that I just mentioned, all have well-known or lesser-known undergrounds, catacombs, abandoned subways, tunnels. Underground cities, indeed. Like whole lost worlds in the case of like the, the catacombs under Paris, right? That aren't uninhabited even to this day. People are down there right now. Beneath our feet, you know, that we kind of know about. Some small remnants of those areas, you know, here in Seattle, we have the underground that can be toured under close supervision, obviously, right? Not an extremely restricted basis. Probably, probably for good reason. It's probably hella dangerous down there when you go off the, go off the old tour. proponents of a mud flood event theory and a deception surrounding it they place it chronologically to be I think around 150 to 200 years ago as I mentioned earlier I'm not sure if it's one event or several I don't think it's been ruled out that there haven't been several over time Historical occurrences that have been linked to a possible mud flood include the Tunguska airburst meteor event over Russia. I think that was in the what, early 1900s. Uh, the volcanic eruptions at Santorini and Pompeii 
not sure if Krakatoa got mixed up in this or not, but it's possible I heard it mentioned as well. But again, you know, it's not clear to me, and it's not clear as far as I can tell from any claims being made by any other researchers looking into this or creating content around it, whether any of these events are, you know, if they were real in the first place, if there were natural disasters of a random but cataclysmic scale, right, one-offs, um, or were they something nearly as apocalyptic but cyclical in nature? And this is me here again, just speculating. I'm thinking of, you know, events like the reversal of the magnetic poles or like a solar storm event. I mentioned Moscow, St. Petersburg, uh, ancient Greece, Rome, Italy. So yeah, St. Petersburg. There's some there's some Russian mythology and 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 alternative historians who say that Peter the Great, you know, didn't build St. Petersburg. He unearthed it, almost intact, reoccupied it. <laughs> Same as to, to be understood to be the case of ancient Greece, Rome, Italy. They'll show you in your research of this topic many, many images by Renaissance artists of Greek and Roman monolithic sites already depicted as in ruins. And we are to understand that these artists, who were technically perfect by any modern standard, as you might recall, the you know, Greek Renaissance and, and uh, artists of that era from Italy and Spain and all around that part of the world uh, were, you know, these were your Botticellis, these were your Michelangelos, your Leonardo da Vinci's, and, you know, the antecedents to uh, them. And so that is to say good-ass artists, um, that these guys would draw everything as beautifully as they did, but uh, would stubbornly refuse to depict the empire in its what should have been presumed to be pretty normally, uh, you know, good state of repair, because they were understood to live during the height of these civilizations, these empires, not in the modern ruins that we see today the decrepitude that we see today uh, so you'll see a lot of art uh, from that era that you know these theorists of the of the mud flood theory would say they're depicting the Rome that they lived in it was already kind of ruinous when they did this art they weren't in flights of fancy, this wasn't science fiction, this wasn't, uh, you know, mere surrealism in any way. So they, they, they would take that to infer among with the other evidence that they pull together that that would speak to people reoccupying older sites, locations, cities that were left behind by a lost global civilization, globe-spanning civilization. 
so I guess that civilization was maybe wiped out by the mud flood? Or weren't they? We don't know. Did they... Were they extincted by the mud flood? Or did they leave Earth? Did they, you know, did they, were they technological and able to, you know, leave the planet? Or leave the surface of the Earth and go underground into a hollow Earth? Right? I don't know. Like I said, mine's open wide here, friends. I let Big Boy go out. I don't know if I should relight it or not. I don't know if we're gonna gonna regret it if I relight that monster. It's about halfway down. It's burning beautifully though, straight. Just yak too much. So the deception part of the mud flood theory. Yeah, definitely sort of posits that that former civilization, this lost civilization, whether we're calling them the Tartars or uh, you know, some pre-Sumerian civilization, or is it the Sumerians, or, you know, um, who they were. Hyperboreans, another one we'll get to in a minute, just briefly. That they, though, were, you know, they had a modern lifestyle, they had incredible architecture, they had potentially things like electricity of the free Tesla tower kind. Potentially things like flying machines. Other seemingly high-tech conveniences, certainly. You know, they uh, they point out the absurdity of the notion that any of these older civilizations would have lived in filth the way we're expected to believe they did, and that they didn't have indoor plumbing uh, at all, uh, but they were capable of, during those same many hundreds of years, concurrently capable of building architecture that stood the test of eons um, that literally they built cities around and occupied continuously for eons, um, but at no point in time for all these same eons until very recent history did we rediscover the technology and ability to make common and available such conveniences as indoor plumbing and particular toilets and uh that's a big it's a big small sidebar to go on that one so i'm not going to i'm going to elect not to you'll you'll run into it in the form of the great stink of London is a related mud flood story that you'll come up and bump into at some point in your own investigations but yeah much of what's attributed to that early fantasy art early attempt at science fiction of different sorts including like some of the steampunk depictions of you know, Victorian-era people uh, of enlightened nature who also enjoyed a very technologically advanced uh, world. But, like, all of that stuff is sort of attributed to potentially 
preservation in the human, you know, mythology in the form of all media, literature in modern era, glowing rectangles of all sizes, uh, you know, of this lost greatness, not stuff that never was, not stuff that was mere fancy, but of, of things that we, you know, formerly did and had our lost greatness. You know, those that lived before this mud flood. Other events that maybe preceded it. You know, maybe the ones who got took out by the mud flood were already remnants of the badasses who came before them. Um, when you think of why people would live for 500 years or a thousand years in castles or in cities with no indoor plumbing, but everything else that looked amazing castles and large buildings and city halls and shops and markets, etc. Imagine if all the bathrooms were down on the first floor buried in about 15 feet of mud or soil and in most cases they lacked the ability, the survivors who came in to reoccupy the remaining two, three, four stories in many cases of plenty of these buildings in antiquity. It's not like we haven't had multi-story buildings for hundreds if not thousands of years in pretty much all cultures. We haven't been, you know, living in mud huts for the most part this whole time for some time now. And uh, if you think of, you know, a survivor civilization that's smaller in population period, that that's another thing that you'll see shown in many of the documentaries is seemingly empty cities, uh, you know, that are very, nevertheless, very, very built up, um, but, you know, seemingly abandoned streets everywhere, um, you know, and it is interesting, you know, you can, you can really go around and around on that and just say, well, that's, you know, absolute bullshit, you can get abandoned shots of, you know, anywhere, anytime, if you, if you're determined, even today, but I'm not sure that's entirely accurate or true an honest uh, statement or not but it could definitely be debated um, yeah I mentioned earlier you know is the mud flood the biblical flood that cleansed the earth of all the wicked humanity right except for God's chosen family Noah and company short answer Maybe. But you have to believe in a young earth for that, which definitely, interestingly, is a big part of what the supposed deception is all about. A mud flood event would be, you know, one part of uh, a number of things that could happen if it was a manufactured event that could help with manufacturing history or erasing history or resetting history if that was a, a goal or even an achievable thing to do. But yeah, calendars, our calendar is involved in this. Um, this is something that I think I'm, I, I think I inaccurately labeled myself like the missing 1,000 years myth. I think it's perhaps a lot better known as the phantom time hypothesis. Um, but in, in my opinion, in a sense, this is all dressed up by another name here in its mud flood finery. 
uh, from that wiki article about the phantom time hypothesis, just for people who aren't familiar with it, uh, just for fun. And I'm sorry, I'm getting real sniffly. I'm still getting over a bit of a thing, a head cold thing. The phantom time hypothesis is a historical conspiracy theory asserted by Herbert Illig. First published in 1991, it hypothesizes a conspiracy by the Holy Roman Emperor Otto III, Otto III, Pope Sylvester II, and possibly the Byzantine Emperor Constantine VII. Constantine, I believe, would be the same Constantine who helped pull together the canon, the biblical canon. Uh, they together fabricated the Anno Domini dating system. They did this retrospectively, and they did it in order to place themselves and their time in history at the special year of Anno Domini AD 1000 thus rewriting history. This would legitimize Otto's claim to the Holy Roman Empire. Illig believed this was achieved through the alteration, misrepresentation, and forgery of documentary and physical evidence. According to this scenario, the entire Carolingian period, excuse me, is a mouthful, including the figure of Charlemagne, is a fabrication. With phantom time, 297 years, those the years from AD 614, counting upward to 911, 911, added to the early Middle Ages. That paragraph ends with, The proposal has been universally rejected by mainstream historians. Shocking. We're going to relight it. Because why not? So... When researching topics like the mud flood, one begins to come across a number of other equally fascinating side topics that are related to it, that feed into and make it sound, I don't know, more plausible? I don't know, something to me again and again. Make it sound interesting, let's say. Um... Uh, do you have a pen and paper ready? These include such definitely episode-length introduction-worthy topics as star forts. Okay, look them up. We're going to come back to them on a full-on episode, but they're interesting. They're found all around the world. Uh, like the classical Roman architecture and some of these other uh, mud flood buildings that have typical features that we'll get into in just a second um the star forts uh seem to be ubiquitous and 
uh, of all different shapes and sizes, but nevertheless having noticeable common threads all around the world. There's a term called the cultural layer, which talks about this, like, mud layer as if it was a completely normal side effect of, again, living in a sedentary agricultural uh, horse-driven transportation uh, dichotomy and a human horse and human cow domesticated animal dichotomy, but that lacked uh, paved roads. We had, you know, advanced architecture in all other forms, but lacked paved roads and working plumbing. And so people lived in shit and the accumulation of shit and dirt and filth and lack of, like, even garbage service, etc., contributed to a cultural layer that became feet deep over time all around the world and in some cases resulted in these changes to local terrain and architecture that only then in more recent times was capped over with asphalt sidewalks and the new upper city upper realm I know wild huh so that's the cultural layer. Look into that because that's basically a lot of mud flood specific stuff. But that cultural layer is really a great search term to use for looking into this. Also of interest, and this is a little bit more me again, but it, it definitely comes up, is let's start to remember now when we start looking into all this, the ancient mound building cultures of North America, you know, that are, again largely suppressed, dimly understood at best, even by those who want to understand it and are totally on board with that concept. Those cultures aren't confined to North America by any means. A lot of talk of giants comes up, because a lot of these older structures, these megalithic structures, really do seem like they would seemingly accommodate much larger beings than current humans. And there's many people who theorize that people ourselves, just human beings, just used to be bigger, but bordering on giant. The Shaquille O'Neal's and others of today who, you know, tip, you know, seven feet or above would hint at such people being possible. Yeah, Great Tartaria is going to come up right away as one of the, that's this, you know, theorized global civilization. It's Tartaria who they say built all these buildings. Tartaria, Atlantis might have been part of Tartaria or a predecessor to it. That Tartaria itself harkens back to people from the era of the Hyperboreans, semi-celestial beings that were like a pre-human, pre-Adamic race. 
told you, heretical as heck. I mean, but the Bible itself <laughs> mentions pre-Adamic uh, humans, uh, race, you know, races of men of something in the Old Testament. So what do you do when it's right there too? Uh, this theory has, as I just mentioned there, entire epochs of civilizations shuffled in time. With things like the Egyptian pharaohs, the ones that we're all familiar with and taught about, to whatever we call teaching about these days about them. Um, you know, we're not Egyptologists, right? Okay, to be fair to ourselves as well, but... Uh, living that that the pharaohs lived almost contemporary with like medieval times, so they placed them as potentially really rolling as recently as the fourteen and fifteen hundreds. On the late end, the Dark Ages, more or less total claptrap, according to the mud flutters. A cover story inaccurately describing hundreds if not thousands of years of miserable mere existence of a you know quote unquote human race that had barely crawled out of the caves they had been cowering in during the paleolithic these brutes wouldn't create worthwhile art music literature or any life-improving advances in technology, we're talking Bronze Age and earlier here, for literal eons. Only in the past, like, 2,000 years or so, give or take an Anno Domini, with much duplication of people and history happening and omissions of others in some cases in the written history. Only in the past 2,000 years ago, though, have all these great civilizations of all time that we're so familiar with, what, been born and risen to power one after another in relative isolation and without really having to go head-to-head against each other at any of their full power at any given time. They've risen to power and, you know, then in a stately procession declined in their time or been defeated by one, the one who comes after them otherwise been wiped from the planet through some means unknown to us you know only to be seen today as ghosts in their far removed modern descendants I mean I'm painting a very broad brush I'm talking about you know the Sumerians credited with the first writing and some of our earliest and crucial math and accounting all sorts of stuff the first written language some of the first creation myths the Macedonians after them right Mesopotamians excuse me the Mesopotamian culture the Egyptians obviously the Turkish Empire the Ottoman Empire the Chinese under their emperors the ancient Greeks the Holy Roman Empire. Right? That last of which some people would say today still lives on in the form of 
organizations like the United Nations itself, to name one. And I know, tangent straight to crazy town, so I'm gonna shut up on that one. Um, let's let's light this. We'll step away from that grenade. Just let it blow up in the street. <laughs> All of these civilizations that I was just talking about are thought by mud flood theorists to be built upon the bones of a great lost globe or flat motionless earth. I know, chill, we've already I've already warned you, we're gonna run into some flat earthers here for sure. And that's all I mean is in your investigations. I'm not really peddling flat earth right now. Uh, I, I don't I don't know you guys. I don't know about all that. <laughs> uh, what I'm not going to do is sit here and just scoff at people for imagining that it's possible or looking into it or questioning it or talking about it in anything resembling serious terms uh, because we tolerate a lot more ridiculous, horrible shit than that in our everyday mundane literal operational existence and you know what I'm talking about it's just dealing with the administration of our world right the people who tell us how we can how we can live and who to pay to live <coughs> anyway the lost civilization that some believe to be Great Tartary or Grand Tartaria, a place long described as a large but sparsely inhabited region, northern Russia, like today's like Siberia area, right? That never truly laid claim to nationhood, let alone aspirations of anything resembling empire. But that Tartaria and evidence of its incredible massive importance can be seen everywhere all around the world in archaeology and in history that we can still see that hasn't been erased in the forms of, to name a few, that I've seen repeated again and again. And there are more, though. Like I said, I'm still learning about all this. Then I'll just get it out of the way first. The swastika symbol which we all know, obviously, was co-opted by Hitler and the Nazis in World War II, but obviously is very well known to also be associated with deep Buddhist tradition, Indian, Hindu, religious tradition, and artwork shows depictions of clear, crystal clear swastikas art throughout Asia, regardless of the religious background, features this shape and symbol. There's also a very ubiquitous two-headed eagle symbol and side profile eagle symbolism of all sorts that we see extremely ubiquitously employed on, in particular, coinage and currency 
and government seals uh, around the world in all different styles. Sometimes they're eagles, sometimes they're dragons, sometimes they're griffins, sometimes they're depictions of what would be characterized as a phoenix. In particular, the two-headed ones, but definitely all of those that I just mentioned are all considered to be related in some way and not to be utter coincidence that they appear seemingly everywhere and are still used today. Megalithic buildings in general, like all the big giant sites that, are, that we have a hard time understanding how we would make them today, how we would build them to last today. Even our biggest and best badass-ass skyscrapers really don't have the shelf life of these megalithic structures, right? Some of them might stand the test of time. They might. Um, but a lot of them already haven't, right? But, uh, those, you know, megalithic structures in general, government buildings, however, on every continent, that share what we would call classic Roman architecture. Um, and what I mean by that is that of like megalithic sized pillars, bigger pillars, scalloped pillars, arches, right? Big arches, domed rooftops. Pyramids and obelisks at the decorative level for sure and, and accents. Obviously, we don't build great pyramids anymore, but the, those sometimes make this list. But those are seen everywhere. Why? How? Why would, why would people in India, why would people in Asia, why would people in Malaysia, why would people in Australia and in Lapland all... When you go to court, when you go to the city, is this all to be attributed to the Romans? all around the world in places that barely ever heard of a Roman in all their history others do a better job of speculating about that than I do here so I'll rein it in uh, I gave credit earlier to New Earth YouTube I also want to point out that one of the biggest researchers into this that I ran across and I'm excited to realize this I don't know if big is the right word but this person has been doing some clicking and some typing for sure and they're somewhat convincing anyway this is a person named Corbin Dallas and remarkably I'm stoked to say I come to find out it looks like they're from Seattle so as I mentioned up at the top of the episode I'm in western Washington I'm in Seattle so um that makes this interesting to me in that, who knows, maybe we could even talk to this guy sometime. But I did find a post of his in a forum that I just recently, I just joined and I'm waiting for like a confirmation email so I can see the rest of the posts and, and people's profiles and stuff and learn more about this whole scene. Um, this dude posted in a, in a forum called like stolenhistory.org. And like I said, he's from Seattle, but the thread that he... Uh, posted that they called it like they pinned it and shit it's a, it's a featured thread uh, it's a it's entitled mud flood dirt rain 
and the story of the buried buildings. And uh, I'm going to have a quick peek at the post with you here, but you guys can view the whole thing by checking out the link in the show notes just above me here. I'm pointing at it. Um, and side note before I look at it, the title of that thread, though, it reminded me that the whole thing, uh, you know, your your mind goes a lot of different places when you start hearing about these uh, events and how they happened and... Uh, I definitely thought somehow this all, in my way, what occurred to me uh, was that could this potentially in some like obscure way be related to the Dust Bowl years in the North American Great Plains, right? Wasn't that in the 1800s and it was supposedly brought on by like poor crop and field rotation practices if, you know, I'm not totally mistaken. Let's look at let's look at Corbin Dallas's thread super briefly. You know, here's his intro to it. He posted it this year, okay, April fifth of twenty eighteen. Apparently, there is this theory in Russia that Peter the Great was not the founder of Saint Petersburg. He did not build it. He dug it out. Yes, you heard it right. Supposedly, a whole lot of dirt was removed and from beneath emerged the city. This is clearly not an official version, yet there are some reasons for this theory to exist, especially after looking at the engravings done by Giovanni Battista Piranese. He's got a link to those to these engravings that I've also looked at. They depict St. Petersburg at the time, and it appears to be being dug out in a lot of ways. Piranese was creating his immortal art in the 18th century. The buildings I wanted to talk about, for the most part, were constructed in the 19th. But these buildings have clearly accumulated quite a few feet of the so-called cultural layer. Some might say that those buildings settled down with time. The other explanation would be that these buildings were built this way. For better visualization of what I'm talking about, let us take a look at the image below. Here he shows an image of one of the basement daylight windows that appears to be halfway embedded in the ground, brick building, brick archway over the window um, that we've described earlier in the episode. Sidewalk level, it's partially overgrown in disrepair, some disrepair. Basically, what we have is a building, he says, with the bottom floor windows looking different from the windows above. These windows in question are either entirely or partially below the ground level. Here are a few more buildings demonstrating this trait. He shows a panel of at least 12 images here of buildings with those half stories underground at the street level. These are all over Seattle. We have our cover story for that, obviously, of course, in the form of the Great Fire, etc., etc., the Denny Regrade, etc. Speaking of cover stories, let us contemplate some of the official explanations.
cultural layer version. So here's a little short summary of this cultural layer. Byproduct of human life cycle it is, so to speak. In other words, with time, we produce elements. Dirt, trash, horse doo-doo. Raising the surface level. Archaeological science estimates this accumulation to be just under half inch every 100 years. This adds up to about 50 inches every 100 years. So what they're saying is that your house is getting buried in dirt and crap. And instead of sweeping the dirt away, you wait until it entirely buries the first floor. Then you use one of the second floor windows and make yourself a new door because the actual one is six feet under. I don't know about you, but I do not buy it. There are plenty of city photos showing these very same buildings the exact same level 100 years ago. So that is to say, already looking fucked up 100 years ago, right around when photography started becoming popular and a little bit more ubiquitous. Prior to that, though, you'll see them depicted even in art, hand-drawn art, again, showing the effect of the mud flood. Go a little further back, and you'll see them depicted slightly differently. settle down version. This is another theory. My understanding is that with time, a building could sink into the ground due to, for example, vibration or ground density. I had a little retaining wall in my backyard. This is this guy's really, you know, the post again. Did not do it right the first time, and it settled down all right. Never did take a picture, but was able to find an example. It sure did not settle down level tend to agree most of the time uh, you know I can't imagine most things being able to come down perfectly level if, if they were suffering from settling in some way and he says of course let's see if a building as long as you know shows a giant palace can settle down perfectly level in relation to its original position so his post is really, it goes on quite a bit longer. He does show Seattle. He shows Spain, England, Denmark, Czech Republic. Image after image after image of affected looking buildings. Uh, and, you know, he just started a good discussion there in this forum that goes on from there with people. a lot of great conversation in that thread. So, again, this, you know, I got, I just became hip to this, and I look into it, and I come to find out that there are a lot of people talking about it. It's it's nothing I've heard yet on another podcast. I'll say that uh, so far. So I don't. I'm not. I don't think I'm breaking any story here. But uh, I found entire subreddits populated by thousands of members 
dedicated to topics very close to this or this topic specifically. So one subreddit called R Cultural Layer, right, titled Cultural Layer, they have 6,200 members at least, subs- subscribers, followers, you know, whatever Reddit calls them, subs. Uh, and they have an absolutely epic resource thread right there in that subreddit that I think you'll find very quickly when you find your way there that um, in itself, the single post will take me the next month or more of continuous looking into it to begin to plumb the depths of the value that's there and the research that they did there. Um, And I I have that link here as well. Um, And we'll have a quick peek because I want to read you some of the list of the articles that they have right in that that post. And we'll read uh, who our... Yeah, so this is posted in our cultural layer. Again, recently, this this um, this list uh, was posted by you, Emperor Apollyon. So uh, Emperor Apollyon is the user. And uh, this is called the Best of Cultural Layer and Resource Guide Amended. And I'm not going to read the whole thread, but what I will show you is he's got a top header of Phantom Time. Then a link to a synopsis of Phantom Time Theory in my own words, a short introduction to the work of Anatoly Fomenko, Russian historian who's a uh, cultural chronological disputer of the uh, official historical timeline and deeply powers some of the rhetoric under, you know, the back, under the hood of the mud flood theorists. The World's Fairs, I can't wait to look into this because I haven't looked into it yet, but the World's Fairs were used as an excuse to demolish Americans, America's ancient architectural heritage. I haven't looked into it, but we do have a great footnote link to a YouTube clip of a 2017 story here in Seattle of us destroying a facade of a historical building that they claim was dated to like the 1920s here in Seattle for a stadium reconstruction and renovation um, that took place just last year. And they caught it on video, covered it on the news. We got to see the facade of the building for a matter of hours, and it was, you know, revealed and demolished in the same breath that it was revealed. So it was very interesting because it felt like a intentional you know act in a way obviously it was intentional when you roll up with the heavy equipment so anyway continuing Ottonian Empire versus Ottoman Empire the truth about the siege of Vienna and when did the Roman Empire really fall the Starfort conspiracy some Starforts are called batteries Why is that? The little-known woman's holocaust was part of a larger cultural genocide in the 16th and 17th centuries when the old knowledge was wiped out. That sounds like witch hunts and things to me and is very interesting from the standpoint of the witch hunts are said to have been, you know, worse and longer and more onerous than we 
can imagine, and I haven't heard the term Holocaust applied to it prior to there. But I'm interested to look into that. And it does interest me from the standpoint of how much lore, knowledge, uh, you know, family history, cultural history was lost with each of those women wrongfully, you know, accused of witchcraft and imprisoned or murdered. Uh, so this article has like this one thread has like 20 more stories. This thread pointed me at the Chronology of Ancient Kingdoms amended by Sir Isaac Newton. The Sir Isaac Newton. Uh, you know, father of modern, what, geometry, wasn't it? Newton gave us. Newtonian physics. story here about history's greatest con job. The life of Genghis Khan is a work of fiction largely made up by one man named Babude Sendgun in 1908. Can't wait to read about that. Should be interesting. Uh, so this thread goes on and on. I haven't even, like I said, begun. I mean... There are actually close to 100 resources right here in this original thread on Reddit. So I'm linking you to it. We've all got work to do on this one. I just find this to be really, it's deeply connected to all other wacky conspiracies if you give it the time of day at all in, in, any, in any way, shape, or form, in my opinion. So... I hope you guys find it as interesting as I do. Uh, in addition to that, Isaac Newton, Chronology of the Ancient Kingdoms, which is like a 171-page PDF that I've already downloaded and I've got saved. And if anybody wants it, I'll email it to you. Email me. Talk to us at bakedandawake.com. Got another doc. It's also really interesting. I'm not being facetious. It's like a 35-page uh, PDF. Uh, it's from like 1903 or 1904, and it's entitled The Great Dust Fall of February 1903 and Its Origin. And I've read uh, the first few pages of that doc, skimmed a little bit more of it, and really am digging it. Um, and it describes in detail, like in factual detail, like it's for some sort of digest or report or like a... Uh, like a periodical but verging on book and um, they that doc actually like describes not just a 1903 event but really a, a event that was the culmination of like a three year pattern of recurring dust falls it culminated in the 1903 event and that one by then garnered more attention even though it was probably the smallest of the of the dust falls but even that one was not trivial. It was super noteworthy. It was it, it occurred in Europe. It fell over several countries. And estimates reported, at least in that story, and I haven't got any real way of verifying one way or the other right now, how accurate 
that reporting was, but they reported in the story the estimates at not less than 10 million tons of dust or silt falling across several countries there in Western Europe, like England and Wales and shit. You ask me, something like that could give rise to terms like mini dark ages or dark ages themselves. I don't know. Anyway, those documents and others are all pointed at by those threads. I'm pointing you at them in, in my show notes here. They'll have me searching YouTube for and searching the web period for this whole zone of alternative history for months if not years to come and I hope some of you will decide to join me <laughs> as we do I'll try to just bring you the best of it um, I got a link to the Seattle story yeah it was the demolition of the Mercer Arena That just occurred in 2017 in Seattle. There for you. This story probably breaks the record for a number of open browser tabs that I've got for anything that we've worked on together. Uh, and of everything that I've sat down to talk about, this one is the one that I was least familiar with ahead of time, but also most excited about as a result of probably learning about and discovering that there was this area that we could look into together. So please give me your thoughts on this topic and the show in general, how things are going, what you'd like to hear about next. Again, thank you to everybody who's reached out to me recently and said hello. Thank you to everybody, of course that's supporting the show in any small way. Really, really great way to support the show. Share it with a friend. My goodness, that would be wonderful. Please. I know it's interesting at times to, you know, recommend podcasts to folks, but just find your weirdest, coolest friend and just, you know, drop it, drop it on them sometime for me. That would be great. Be so cool. Um, I'll be looking into this some more and probably messing with follow-ups on it in the next couple of episodes. I want to talk to you guys about Star Forts next, and we'll go from there. Definitely look forward to a bit of a report on a rundown on that farm bill. think though I'm gonna let you off the hook it's been a long one right almost an hour and a half so please look into this yourselves just a little bit check out new earth channel on YouTube you'll definitely get a lot of a lot of the material summarized there is it's a great jumping off point really 
And uh, yeah, we'll talk a lot more about this and plenty of other good stuff soon. I was going to say there that I'll, I'll give you the rundown on the farm bill and, and the hemp and CBD realm probably next episode. And then we'll get back to getting weird again for a while. Uh, I didn't quite finish that giant doobie, but that's okay. I, I probably smoked a little bit more than half of it, and it's behaved itself beautifully. And Gosh, if I'm really feeling sporty, I might take another puff of it before bedtime, but it's just about 4.19, and I don't even think I need to smoke at 4.20 today. Uh, you guys are great. Probably won't get this out to you till tomorrow sometime. Um, and let me know how you liked it. We'll talk to you soon. You know what I like to say. Smoke your indica. And do shit anyway. This podcast is part of the Dark Myths Collective. Visit darkmyths.org for more shows like this one. The darkness awaits.